Again, good morning and welcome. Glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor. It's good to, good to be together, good to center ourselves around these words. We only read a small portion of our text that we're going to cover this morning. There's a whole lot here, um, but Jesus is really communicating one big theme uh, with these six examples. So let me, let me pray for us and um, we'll, we'll go from there. God, we are so grateful. I am so grateful for your word. God, that you have spoken to us and that we, as your people, get to center ourselves there around it. We don't have to uh, simply come up with our own like, best ideas of how to live because um, we've tried that and we're not very good at it. God, thank you for speaking. God, thank you for showing us what the good life looks like, what the good person looks like, and for making it possible through your son, Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Okay, so here's a fun fact about Jesus. Jesus makes everything harder. Now, now he absolutely also makes everything better, okay, and we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but without a doubt, Jesus makes everything harder. And it might be a little bit of a surprising thing for you to think through because I think for all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, no matter why you're here, we all come with certain assumptions about Jesus, don't we? Things that we believe about him, whether they're true or not. We just assume certain things. And for many of us, for many people, we just assume that Jesus kind of lowers the bar. That he's come to make our lives easier because, I mean, why would anybody follow him if it doesn't make things easier for us, Right? And again, this happens whether, whether you're a Christian or not. So if you are a Christian, uh, you might, yeah, assume Jesus kind of, he lowers the bar, and so you kind of boil it all down to, you know, if I, if I just don't really, if I don't hurt anybody, I don't do anything super bad, and then it's, it'll be okay. And I can be forgiven anyway. So there's always kind of that little out. Um, and then if, then if you're not, if you're not a Christian, uh, you may come to, the, come to it very similarly, but maybe it looks a little bit different. You just sort of assume that basically Jesus taught us all to be nice to one another, which, which he did, uh, but we leave it there. We boil it down to really the same thing. Just don't, don't hurt anybody. Don't do anything super wrong, and it'll all just sort of, sort of be okay. You see, every one of us has some sort of moral code of conduct, right? Again, whether, you, whether you're with Jesus or not, you, you have rules, I have rules. We may not agree on what those rules are, but essentially for every one of us, I mean, I know for myself, like if I, if I keep most of my rules most of the time, then I feel like a pretty good person, right? I got my stuff mostly together. I'm, I'm doing fine. Besides, you know, I've, I've got a good heart in here somewhere, right? See how we're all just natural born legalists? It's how we do it, right? Anything to make ourselves feel good about ourselves, right? We want to do that, and so we do. We create these rules. You may only have like one or two of them. You may have thousands of them, but we have these rules, and as long as I live by them, then I know that I'm fine. I know that I'm okay, that I'm, I'm good enough. No matter your faith situation, this is just how we do it. Um, so you want to know exactly then how Jesus makes everything harder. Well, he's not fooled by any of it. He sees right through all of it, through every one of our rules, right? All of our fake smiles, all the little niceties or, or you, know, you know, whatever it is that we, we sort of promote ourselves out as, as good enough. He, he sees past every bit of it right, right into my heart. And it's my heart 
that's killing me. Because I can, I can play the part of a nice guy, right? But off camera, nobody's looking. I mean, if you could see all the stuff that lives in here. And I, I'm not like, I'm not exaggerating, right? I'm not, this isn't false humility. If you, you could see inside your pastor's heart and see all of the anger and envy and lust and greed and selfishness and laziness and cowardice and, I mean, have I left anything out? If you, if you could see what lives in here, if I could see what lives in, in there, yeah, I'm convinced Jesus makes everything harder. Let me, let me explain a little bit, because we're, we're in Matthew chapter 5. We've been in Matthew for a while. We're going to be in Matthew for a while. Um, hopefully, if you have a Bible with you, you've found how to get to Matthew by this point or on your, on your mobile device. But we're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're still really at the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous sermon, and really, it's one of the most famous pieces of religious writing in all of, of human history. Um, scholars of any, any stripe would say, yeah, this is one of, this is one of the, the places, this is one of the, the primo spots to look on the spiritual life or the religious or the good life or however, however you want to frame it depending on what you believe about who Jesus, who Jesus was and who he is. But in Matthew chapter 5, so we're here, and last week we ended with this idea of the sermon on the mount, or the, the salt and light in the Sermon on the Mount, that that's who we are, that's who he's created us to be, that we're to be people of influence, and we're to be different and, and present within our world, within our society. And, and now, okay, these aren't separated thoughts, okay? We kind of look at them that way in some ways when you do one week, and then one week, and then one week. But this is one long idea that Jesus is, is communicating. This is what it looks like to be salt and light, to be the kind of people that he's called and created us to be. For Jesus, he, he sees all of our little rules, even the good ones, even the ones that God himself has given us, because Jesus sees all the loopholes we've made. He sees all the times, all the ways in which, oh man, how we justify ourselves, how we do, how I do just about anything to lower lower the bar of God's expectation in my life. And so Jesus stops, looks out at the crowds, and says, this, this is what love looks like. This is what righteousness, this is what the good life looks like. And rules? Oh man, it's way worse than rules. Look, at, look again at these, these words. We, we heard a few of them. Let me just kind of set up the context here with, with some of these first words that we already heard. But Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, like the rules, right? I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And now now skip down a little bit. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never... Enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and if you don't know anything about the scribes and Pharisees, these were like the guys, right? I mean, these are the rule people. They made rules. Their rules had rules, right? They, they are the ones who are obsessively concerned with doing the right thing, saying the right thing, looking the right way, and nobody looked better than they did. But they missed the real problem. Because Jesus, he's not, he's not changing the rules. 
He's not tweaking them or, or moving them aside. He's simply showing us where the problem really is. Because the real problem is right here. And to do this, Jesus gives us six examples. And honestly, we could, we could preach a sermon on all six of these. Um, we got a lot of text to cover. We're going we're gonna to run through it because we want to, it's not that what Jesus says about each of these things is unimportant. It's very important. And I hope we learn something in, in each of them. But the big thing he's trying to communicate, that, that's what we can't miss. And that's where we see that Jesus, Jesus makes everything harder. Okay. Um, so first, first example, anger. And I know I, I've confessed to you a while back how, how surprised I was to discover a couple of years ago how angry I can be. Um, I never thought I was an angry person, right? And then all of a sudden it just began to realize, I don't know if it was like when I had kids um, or, or what it was, but all of a sudden I was like, man, I, I, and I'm, I'm not just talking like uh, what Portlandia refers to as early onset grumpiness, okay? I mean anger in here. I mean, just for example, a couple of situations came to mind as I was working on this, and frankly, if I thought longer, I'd probably come up with many more than just two, but two times in particular recently where I've kind of wanted to kill somebody. And don't look at me like that, <laughs> because you know, right, that moment you had with your boss or coworker, the thing with your roommate that just won't quit, right, you... And here's what we do. We either lash out in anger or we like, you know, sort of bottle it up to savor the bitterness later, right? That's what we do. And these, these two moments in particular, it, for me, it was so, it's like right on the edge, like somebody is about to die, right? But I wouldn't do that. Of course, I'm a, I'm a good person. I, I wouldn't, I would never do that. In fact, I can tell you, in my 36 years on this planet, I have never once murdered anyone. <laughs> Don't laugh. That's, yes, yeah, thank you, Carol. Yeah, 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 exactly. Aren't you proud of your pastor? Look at that. And most of us, this is what Jesus is doing, right? He's letting us for a moment pat ourselves on the back because we love to pat ourselves. Oh, man, I'm a good I'm one of the best. We love being good people. Oh, Jesus. You've heard that it was said to those of old, like the, you know, traditionally, culturally, uh, some of these explicitly right in their own commandments. Um, everybody knows, though, that's what you just say. Everybody knows you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to, to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his kids, or spouse, or friend, or coworker, or I mean, you can kind of fill in the blank there. It's somebody close to you, right? Whoever is angry with them will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Man, Jesus, come on. Everybody gets mad. I mean, anger's just, it's normal. It's just, it, what I, I mean, just look at politics. Look at Facebook. This is just what we all, this is, who cares? I mean, traffic, right? Maybe that's, that's it, right? That, Jesus could say this because he never had to sit in traffic. Never had to deal with that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't get it. 
And we, I mean, this, this is sort of the, the irony, the funny part of this. And, I mean, not funny, funny, but I think we'd all agree, right? We live in a pretty angry world, right? You can look pretty, you don't, and look in, you know, right? I think we'd all agree that. And yet we also live right now in a culture that is like uber nice to your face, like gross nice. Like we compliment people we don't mean anything about. We pander and we tiptoe. We will do anything to look like a nice person because we're good people, right? And things you would never say to your classmate's face. As soon as they're out of earshot, all of a sudden it just some of us are just bullies. Bullies at, at work, at home. Some of us never grow out of being a bully, right? Or, or maybe things, things you would never dream of saying to another living, breathing human being. You would never say that, but they somehow end up like posted online, right? Because you f- forget, we forget that there's actually another human on the other side of that. So much anger. And worse than that, stuff that just hangs out up here it may never actually get out but you know what I'm talking about right you know I used to think when I was younger how cool it would be to read be able to read people's minds I thought that would be great can you imagine how awful what kind of nightmare world would that be to see and to know every thought in each of our minds because the reality is, and this is what Jesus is getting at, right? Murder lives, I, I am a murderer. I mean, yeah, okay, I've, I've never, never taken a life. But I've murdered people's reputations, their joy, their self-respect, or at least wanted to, or wished I had, or fantasized about. I, I've, I've killed my kids' love at times, right? My wife's compassion, I've ruined other people's day I mean, it's not, it's not murder, murder. And Jesus knows that. He's not being naive here, right? He's not saying it's like the exact same thing. And yet what he's saying is that the seeds of murder, they live right in here. In each of us. But hey, at least I haven't killed anybody. I can feel good about that. All right, how about lust? I mean, if there's... If there's any vice our world celebrates, it's this one. Lust, essentially in, indulging in desire, indulging desire for someone you're not married to. Indulging desire for someone you're not, that's a pretty simple definition of lust. It's that look that lingers, it's the fantasy you replay, it's the website you visit, it's the trashy novels you might read, as well as any sexual relationship outside of marriage. For Jesus, that's that's lust. You may disagree with that, but for him, it all, it all fits in those categories. And yeah, I can very, I can very quickly uh, confess, I, I fail here too. I kind of thought maybe at one point that I, maybe I'd grow out of it. Still kind of hoping for that, right? But it lingers. But you know what? Cut me some slack. I'm a good person. I have never once, 13 and a half years of marriage, I've never had an affair. Huh? Thanks, buddy. Yes! Best husband ever, right here. Come on, Jesus. Look at this. Verse 27. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Everybody knows that's wrong. Not, not that we're all great at obeying, and I, I don't minimize that, okay? But we, generally speaking, culturally, okay, you get it, okay? You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already done the deed, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've heard it said, it's just maxim. It's just 50 shades of gray. It's just hooking up. It's just harmless fun. But I tell you, you're destroying yourself. I mean, by his count, I can't tell you how many times I've cheated on Kelly. How many times I've betrayed her trust and taken from another against their will. Oh yeah, no big deal, right? It's just lust. Who cares, right? It's harmless. Nobody even knows. You can do it, whatever. It doesn't hurt anything or anyone. I get it. We say all those excuses and we actually for a moment believe them, but really, you're hurting your own ability to experience intimacy and, and to experience pleasure. And more than that, though, you're taking, demeaning, and objectifying an entire gender. I mean, all of a sudden here, she is no longer human, but a tool for your pleasure. It might feel harmless, but you're literally shaping your brain to treat people like that. That's what's happening. And you can't just shut it off. Like, all of a sudden, like, you're talking to your wife, and it's, it's different now. And I'm talking to a coworker. I'm talking to somebody at church. And you're slowly, over time, making, making those people, that group, whatever it is for you, into an object. They exist only for you only for your gratification. And you can take them and have them whenever you want. Yeah, okay, lust and human trafficking, those are like extreme sort of ends of the spectrum. And I, I get it, they're not the same. But they're definitely in the same family. I mean, the goal of both is, is really the same. They're both attempting to do the same thing. One passively exploits the other actively. But both take someone who's created in the image of God and say, you know what, that person actually just exists for my pleasure, for my own, my own gratif- gratification. Which is why Jesus takes it so seriously. I mean, my goodness, look what he says. It seems a bit over the top, doesn't it? Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. He says the same thing about the right hand in case we missed it about the eye, right? Yeah, of course, this is, this is hyperbole. Every biblical scholar will agree that's, that's what's happening here. Don't, don't go cutting anything off, but, but don't miss the point. Because really, even, even the cutting something off, right? And Jesus knows this. He's getting at the fact that it, it, it lives here. Even if we were to gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands, it doesn't, it doesn't fix what's in here. But don't miss what he's saying. Fight sin with everything you have. <coughs> to whatever extreme you need to go to kill sin before it kills you, Jesus says, do it. It's better. But hey, at least I've never had an affair. Hey, four more to go. It's pretty good, huh? Divorce. I mean, do you believe me yet? Jesus makes everything harder. Divorce. Okay, here, let's talk about that one. Uh, 
Now, divorce, actually, Jesus is going to elaborate quite a bit on in Matthew 19, and so we'll save most of what we'll say uh, for that Sunday coming up in a few months or so. So, something to look forward to, right? A whole week on divorce. Um, But just so we continue to get the themes of what Jesus is getting at here, why he's saying this. Essentially, here's what Jesus is saying. If we were to break it down into our cultural context of of divorce and what it is, basically, I think what he's saying is, you've heard it was said, um, if you fall out of love, You've heard it said, if you just can't make it work anymore, if you're, if you're angry or bored, or it just is too hard to keep doing it together. You've heard that it was said, if you're not happy, end it and repeat the pattern with somebody else. But I tell you, Everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now listen, there there are times when divorce and remarriage is absolutely permissible. And I I realize there's a lot of complexity here, and frankly, a lot of pain. Because this is is one of the ones where, I mean, some of them, it's like, well, we can make change. But for some of this, this is just in our past. This is part of of our story. And you you feel what Jesus is saying in a really deep way, right? We can, we can talk about that, and we will in that coming Sunday. But we cannot miss the fact, I mean, Jesus, at the very least, the reasons for permissible divorce are few and far between. And why? Because marriage is, is, exists for something so much more, right? We, we make marriage about something so, so small, right? Just between a husband and wife, a family, we break it down on the, on the smallest, most individualistic level that we can, but the reason God created marriage is to show us how he loves us. To show us that with every, every marriage, no matter what it looks like, that, that this is how our God loves us, even when we don't like each other, even when we want nothing to do with him, even when we run, he always pursues and he will never divorce us. And with every marriage that crumbles, that, that divine truth becomes just a little bit harder to believe. So Jesus says, don't. Don't let it go to that place. Okay, we better keep going here. Dishonesty. For us, you've heard that it was said, it's just a little white lie, big deal. Or you've heard it said, always make sure you have a way out of your contract, right? There's, or, or your commitments or your promise. Make sure, make sure there's like a little wiggle room or a loophole. Commit, but never really commit. But Jesus says here, essentially, let your word always be true. Don't, don't worry about saying, I promise, or I swear, or cross my heart, hope to die. Just always say what you mean. And then always follow through. And if you do that, then you don't have to worry about saying, I promise, or I swear, or cross my heart. Because this, this is who you are, and this is, this is what you do. Always be truthful. Thanks, Jesus. Okay, two more here. Retaliation. Or really, we'll take these together. Um, retaliation and hatred, they, they're both so similar. But you've heard that it was said, revenge is sweet. We love, we love thinking about revenge. We love revenge movies. I mean, there's a whole genre devoted to it. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And this is... It's less about defense, self-defense, and more about revenge, retaliation. 
And, and really, it's, it's more about this idea of hatred. These, these two are so similar. So let me, let me go on to that one. Because this, this is where, um, I mean, I hope you're seeing this. Sometimes we, we think of Jesus purely in terms that we, you know, he's just this, kind of he's got long hair and his sandals and he lived so long ago, right? So, you know, completely uneducated. He was a carpenter and we kind of put him in that category, right? And we just sort of, he's a good person. And we forget that Jesus is the most brilliant person who ever lived. And he understands humanity and the human heart better than any of us. Not only did he make us, but he, he lived it out and he's the only one who lived it perfectly. And it's so clearly on display here. And that, this is why I think in some ways this last one, it's kind of my favorite, even though it's maybe, I don't know, which is most painful. They're all, they're all pretty terrible, um, terribly hard. Um, but his brilliance is so clearly on display. Because what he's saying here is, you've heard it was said, and all of us, right? We've all heard this, love your neighbor. Be kind to those who are kind to you, right? Or, or at the least, very least for us, you know, in a culture like ours, at the very least, t- tolerate one another and coexist. And if you do that, you can feel like you're a super loving person. Can't you? That's all I got to do. If I just love the people who love me, if I just love the people who are like me, um, who vote the same way as I do, who look like me, talk like me, have the same values as me, frankly, if I just love the people who are easy to love, then we feel like we're, we're a good person. We're a loving person. And Jesus, he just sort of laughs. Like, really? That's, that's your test? Because you do know everybody loves people who are easy to love, right? I mean, it's not a Jesus thing. You don't have to be a Christian. Everybody loves people who love them back. It's not that hard. Jesus says, if you want to know, if you really want to know if you're a loving person, try this for a while. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Then you'll know if you're a loving person. So, I mean, how, how do you feel about the person who betrayed you? How's that, how's that going, right? How do, you, how do you talk about the people who are trying to take away religious freedoms? When's the last time you've prayed for ISIS? Or for the opposing political party? When's the last time I've, I've actually pursued someone's good, someone who I, I just can't stand? Actually look for ways to serve them, to care for them. Jesus is saying, that's, that's how you know you're a loving person or not. And at this point, I can actually picture, so that's the sixth example, I can actually picture like the crowds. Remember, Jesus started the sermon at the top of his game. Like everybody like loves Jesus. He is famous and people are flocking to him at a, I mean, all over the place. And I can actually picture at this moment, right, this is the part where people, some have shocked faces, they just can't, they, Really? Some of them are laughing because they just think it's ridiculous. Others, at this, they're just getting up and walking out. Like, if this is, no, I, yeah, I don't think so, right? And I also actually kind of imagine Jesus in this moment, seeing the crowds, knowing the effect his words have on the people around him, kind of pausing, stepping back, and saying, you know, I could go all day. We could keep doing this with every rule Everything you've ever looked to or created for yourself or thought maybe would define whether or not you were a good person. We could just do this all day. So how are you feeling, Christ community? Good? Feeling all right? Yeah? Comfortable? Because Jesus, you know, he ends these words, right? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I, I realize for some of you, when you hear these words, um, these words of Jesus is here. Maybe, maybe you just think, you know what? There's no way I'm doing this. 
Nope, I don't think so. Maybe you even, you even thought maybe Jesus was a person you wanted to follow and give your life to, and this is like, you've, you've heard this, and you're like, I, you know what? My bad, this is not for me. And mentally, you've made your way to the door just like the crowds. And I, honestly, I get it, right? Jesus makes everything harder. But then, then others of us here, I'm guessing, I'm guessing in this moment for some of us, all, all we're thinking is like, I need to stop yelling at my kids, right? I really need to get a handle on uh, those lingering looks I make or stop reading those trashy novels. I really need to tell the truth just a, a little bit more. I gotta, I gotta pray for this person. And I, I've gotta protect my marriage and I've, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We just add this like long, huge, heaping list of everything we have to do. And we, I, I retreat to self-improvement. It's my default because I still want to know that I'm good enough and I still think I can do it on my own. And so I say, well, I'm going to create some more rules to help protect me from breaking the really big rules. And then I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to try harder and so help me. I'm going to do better this time. I'm going to, I can, I can do this. Which, hear me, isn't the wrong response? Because we do need to change. Jesus means what he says. This is his expectation for us as we live this life. But attacking the symptoms will not cure the disease. And that is what he's getting at. Because here's why. These things, right, this list, your sins, they're not our biggest problem. Anger, lust, yeah, they're a big deal, but that's ultimately, that's not, I mean, we could address those things to some extent. The problem is that my heart is killing me. And it turns from one thing to another to find meaning and satisfaction all of which ultimately want to destroy me. That's why Jesus, that's how he makes everything harder. He's not changing God's law. He's simply applying them where they always belonged, right to our hearts. And my heart is ugly. And yet we honestly think that a couple of Band-Aids will fix it. Don't we? How many times? Ah, I'll do better next time. I'm not going to yell at my kids again. I'm going to serve my, my, my wife later, right? Not now, but later, right? I mean, how many, how many times have we said, or, or you know what, I, I can do this because I've got a good heart. You know that phrase, um, I mean, we probably, probably heard it. It seems like it's always that, like, but he's got a good heart. It always feels like it's used in the context of when somebody's done something terrible. Is, am, I, am I making that up? Like, you know what, he tortures cats, but he's got a good heart, right? <laughs> what? I mean, I, I could honestly, I could picture Hitler's grandmother saying, you know what, he did some terrible things but he had a good heart, right? Really? Or, or like when, when politicians or celebrities um, have to apologize for something they did wrong, they get caught, right? And so they, they, you know, they don't have any choice. They have to do it. And so they go through. And have you noticed, it seems more recent than, than um, more recently, it feels like they say the phrase, like something like, but that wasn't me. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, that wasn't me who did that, right? Um, because they would never, like the real them would never possibly ever do something so terrible, right? It's not, it's not me. And I always want to say in those, I'm like, well then, if it wasn't you, who did it, right? Because, I mean, I don't want to get all existential, but you are you, right? That's, that's the only person you are. And when I do something wrong, whether it's big or small, whether it's internal or external, I promise you this, it begins right here. This is where all of that lives, and sometimes I'm shocked how easily it comes out. Friends, we don't, we don't just need new and better rules. We need new and better hearts. 
Jesus makes everything harder, but this is also how he makes everything better. Because if you're his, and I, I mean this, I hope this doesn't sound like a foolish, a foolish dream or an empty promise. If you have given your life to him and you are following him, he is right now in the process of making you whole. Right now, he's in the process of making you perfect, making you into somebody who can actually, actually live this kind of life. Now, you, you may not want him to, because um, it's going to hurt, right? Sacrifice and pain is part of it. I love how, how C.S. Lewis describes it. Um, he's, he talks about how we often come to Jesus uh, for all kinds of motives, right? And thankfully, Jesus takes us, like, for whatever we come for. He, he's just open arms. He's ready for us. But, but sometimes we come be like, Jesus, I, I'm going to come to you because I, I, need, I need help with my marriage. I need you to help me with my kids. Uh, can you help fix this sin that I'm particularly embarrassed about? You know, those, those kinds of things. And yes, Jesus welcomes us, but so often, right, our motives are all, are all kind of messy. And, and Lewis writes, I love what he says. He says, yeah, he will cure it, whatever, whatever it is we come for. He'll fix it. He'll work on it, but he will not stop there. That may be all you ask, but once you call him in, he will give you the full treatment. Make no mistake, he says. If you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, that is what you are in for and nothing less. And he goes on and he gives this beautiful example. I, I've used this metaphor before because it's so powerful to me. Um, he says to picture, picture your life as a living house. And you, it's not a great house right? And you, you get it. You know that. You know you need some new paint and curtains. Uh, you got a little leak in the roof and, you know, it's got some problems. You got issues. And so you come and you say to Jesus, because he's like this great carpenter and you think he's going to fix it. You say, come, would you, would, you, would you take care of those problems? And he does. He begins the process of working on it and you're relieved and you're feeling a little bit better about yourselves and, and all of that. And then all of a sudden he starts knocking down walls and you didn't ask him to. And it hurts. And he's going in places you never invited him, rooms that you didn't even know existed. And he's barging his way in. And all of a sudden, he's, he's adding levels and wings and courtyards. And all of it is changing. And because, Lewis, Lewis writes, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. And he intends to come and live in it himself. And then he also says, the job will not be completed in this life. Right? We don't want to be naive but he means to get us as far as possible before death. In Christ's community, just, just imagine with me for a moment, imagine a life, imagine a community free from anger. Not just free from murder, but free from all of the external and internal pain that anger so often causes. Imagine a community of people free from lust. Not just adultery, but lust. And not just lust, but any, any desire or willingness to exploit another human being to actually embrace the kind of intimacy and pleasure that God has created for us. Imagine, imagine a community where marriages last happily, joyfully. Where we, where we mean what we say all the time and follow through no matter how much it hurts us. Where revenge is dead and everyone, even the despised, are loved. Imagine a people like that that's salt and light. And that's exactly, believe it or not, who he's called and creating us to be here, even in this place. And so if that's the case, right, don't you want that? Don't you want that for yourself and for your family and for the people sitting around you and for the community in which we live? Don't you want that? If, if this is what we are called to, how do, how do we get there? 
Let me just mention three things really fast. Um, I'll try to be quick here. But if we're actually going to follow this king and live this, live this life, three things. First, first, we've got to admit how wrong we usually are. Admit how wrong we usually are. Like, stop making excuses. Stop saying, I'm going to do better next time, right, because I'm going to try harder. Stop, stop saying, well, I've got a good heart, right? When Jesus began his ministry back in chapter 3, he began it with one simple sermon. Do you remember what it was? Repent. Turn. Turn, turn from all of it. Just, just acknowledge, like, as the basic foundation of being a broken human being, that most, most of our choices, most of our inclinations most of them end up going, going wrong. Even our good things. I will see that next week, actually. Um, so you can look forward to that. Um, I mean, even the good things we do, we so often do for the wrong reasons. This is the starting point for life with him, and not just the starting point. It's the daily posture for all who believe. It's the way we st- start our day, end our day, live our life together in the position before God that, you know what, I'm usually wrong, and I, I need someone to speak in into my life. Second, second, focus more, more on your heart than your behavior. More on your heart than your behavior. Behavior matters, right? And I don't want to minimize that. Um, Jesus certainly isn't minimizing our need to actually live like this. Um, and if you can change your behavior, like by adding a, an internet firewall, um, by squeezing a stress ball when you feel the rage building up, then by all means, right, do it. But just remember, you're, you're working with the symptoms, not with the disease. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't fight the disease. If you had a, have a headache, right, take Tylenol, right? But if there's something else going on, you, you have to address both. And the problem still lives, it still lives in your heart, even if you're addressing the symptoms. And if you're not careful, it's going to come out in other ways in, in different places. You've got to focus on the heart, that's where the problem lives. So how do we do that? How do we focus on the heart? Um, I've said this plenty of times, right? This is, this is broken record. Sounds old-fashioned, uh, but it's the spiritual disciplines. That's, that's the way we get in our hearts. Um, you know, this is one of the things that our, our community groups, right? You all are, are doing this, investing in this right now, of talking through what does it look like to live this life, this disciplined life in the yoke of Jesus. It's things like reading your Bible every day, even when we don't want to. It's prayer, solitude, fasting, service, generosity, fellowship, celebration, church. I mean, a really simple way. If you're new at this and you want to, like, I don't know, just see if, see if it, there's anything here, right, if it's worth trying, a really simple way to begin the disciplines is by signing up for an open here uh, Bible reading plan. We'll send you a chapter every day. You can go to our website. Super easy. You can even listen to it on your phone. It's, it's like a, it's a simple way to kind of begin uh, this process. And there's no, there's no, magic to these activities. I mean, don't think that. There's not a wand here and it's going to fix your problems if you begin doing this. And yet, they put us in the place where God works most effectively on our hearts. It puts us in a posture where he can do that work. And finally, most important, cling to Jesus. He's our only hope. And this is really why the disciplines work. They're an act of clinging to Jesus, of reminding yourself who he is and what he's done, of taking the gospel and every day rooting it deep within your heart, of reminding yourself what he has said about you, who he has declared you to be, and what he's done for you, and telling yourself over and over and over again until you actually begin to believe it in here where it can change everything of who we are. For he is the only one 
who makes us holy, who promises to make us perfect. He's the only one. I mean, honestly, he's the only one who actually lived this life perfectly, obeyed every bit of it, not just on the surface, but at the level of, of the heart. I mean, yeah, that's part of what he means when he says he fulfills the law. And because of his death on the cross, man, I hope I, hope I never get bored of this incredible truth. It sounds almost, I mean, just way too good to be true. That because of his death, he takes all of our, all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of our failure, every bit of our inability to, to live for him, all of it, takes it upon himself as if it's his own and suffers for it in our place so that there's no, there's no condemnation left for us, for those who, who trust Jesus, who follow him. And then in return, after we've given him all of our mess, he gives us his, his obedience, his righteousness, all of his goodness. And it's all credited to us. We're declared righteous before God. He gets our heart and we get his. And he rose again so that we can actually live this life. That is not just a pipe dream. It's, just not, it's not just out there for us to chase at and never make progress in. And yes, we're going to fail along the way. There are times when it's going to be painful and miserable and we're going to make mistakes. But he's begun the cure within us. And he promises to, to bring it to full completion. And that we, we Christ community, we can be that community together because he will do it. John Bunyan, uh, the 17th century poet, author, theologian, he writes, it's a, it's a poem. I hope this isn't cheesy, but I think it's a beautiful thing to end with. He says, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Amen. Let me pray. Oh, God, I pray that you would... I don't know where to begin. God, I pray that you'd convict us, challenge us. God, see how... Show me, again, how wrong I usually am. God, would you convict us of the ways in which we, we don't take you seriously. We know these things are in here, or at least we do now. Um, God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts. Help us to then actually believe in that conviction that your way really is better. That, that the way we've been living, whether it's anger or lust or the way we've treated our marriages or, 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 or deceit or enemies, God, I, I pray that we would actually believe that what you call us to, that that is the place of greatest joy. God, give us that desire. Help us to pursue it. And then, Lord Jesus, would you do it in us? Make us into these people. God, we need your help. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us a glimpse of who you are and then give us joy in your presence to motivate us to love and to serve and to delight in you. I pray this in Christ's name.